0: Welcome back to a Clubfoot Mom podcast. I am your host and fellow Clubfoot Mom, Maureen Hoff. On today's episode, I get the opportunity to speak with Angie England, a fellow Clubfoot Mom. I connected with Angie via social media and the Hope Walks organization, which was previously on the podcast. Angie's son was born with bilateral Clubfoot in 2013. A little bit of a background about Angie, she is a nurse with most of her experience being in ER trauma but she talks about how her nursing experience shaped both her and Aaron's journey through the clubfoot treatment. We're going to focus our conversation on Aaron's clubfoot relapse today. I have had I have had surgeons talk in prior episodes about the medical aspects of the clubfoot relapse, but today we get to hear from both Angie and Aaron about their personal experience with the clubfoot relapse. As both a parent and the patient. So, hi, Angie. Welcome to the podcast. And thanks so much for being here. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. I'm so excited too. So, let's dive into our conversation first. And then we will bring out our special guest star, Aaron, towards the end of the podcast. Perfect. Okay. So, let's just start at the beginning with Aaron's clubfoot diagnosis and his original treatment.
1: Okay, so this is super awesome story, because um, contrary to what a lot of stories that I hear, like going into this, we had no idea, mm. which is particularly um, interesting because my OB was one of my closest friends. So we had like a thousand extra ultrasounds. Like every visit that we went in, she was taking more pictures, and we had so many pictures of him while I was pregnant. It's like crazy. And not one of them caught anything. Um, I think that maybe the ultrasound tech, I don't know, maybe there's some learning opportunities because there was a lot of stuff. that, Like she also told me I was going to have like this giant baby and he came out like this little nugget. And um, never, like never saw anything. Mm -hmm. Didn't know anything, which who knows what it would have been like had I known. Um, But, you know, like... Like I hear a lot of the moms talk on here. I, you know, I was this super careful mom. I may have pumped my own gas, but, um, you know, I was super, I was super careful. I tried to eat the right stuff. I tried to do whatever. Um, Cause I was, I mean, I was kind of nervous mm-hmm. and, you know, and so we didn't know anything. And then um, the, the most hilarious part about it is that, you know, during my pregnancy, I never, I never got very big. And so even like when I showed up to the hospital to give birth to him, they looked at me and they were like, "Mm, No, you need to come back in a couple months. And I was like, No, 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 he's, he's coming today. Like you need to get me upstairs because nobody believed that I was that far along. Hmm. So I didn't show very much. Aaron's born and we have it on video where I'm looking at him and his feet are all scrunched up. And I look to my husband and I say, oh my gosh, like he's so scrunched up because he was like so scrunched up in there. And he says, it's all right. Babies are like Gumby. They will totally unravel. They will totally unravel. Mm -hmm. And then it was like, I don't know, a couple hours later, I was like, why isn't he unraveling? Like what's going, Mm -hmm. like then it started to hit. And I, you know, I mean, I had been, Let's see, when he was born, I had been a nurse for like six years. I didn't, we didn't learn anything about clubs, but in nursing school, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I've, I've gone back and tried to look at like my textbooks and stuff, but we didn't learn anything about it. I knew nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, you know, then I started getting scared because I'm like, what's going on here? And then like the worst experience for me was I, then we started asking and you know he was born in the middle of the night, so there were minimal resources around. He had amazing apgars, so like mm-hmm. nobody was in a rush to get into the room. Um, and so I asked one of the nurses, like 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 what's going on here? <laughs> and they were like, oh, well we'll call one of the NICU nurses to come talk to you. And I was like, um, I'm. I'm I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What? And mm. then they literally were whispering in the corner, and I was like, "I'm right here. I'm right here. Please stop doing that. Stop whispering okay. in the corner. Like, what is going on?" <laughs> and um, and then they never sent anybody. Mm. So you know, it's it's funny because when I think about retelling the story, and like, so I laid there for twelve hours, just scared. And it, I mean, it wasn't 12 hours, right? Because she was born just after midnight. I did mm-hmm. not lay there until noon, but it felt like it. Like it felt like forever that I just laid there and I started reeling, you know? It mm-hmm. was a lot of the emotions that a lot of the people on here talk about when they get that first, mm-hmm. you know, that that first bit of information and you're like, what does this mean? Um, And, you know, I wasn't one to like, I mean, I'm pretty sure I had a smartphone in 2013, but I didn't. I wasn't gonna grab it and just start like you know Googling mm-hmm. everything. Like I I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to be that. I I wanted to hear from the doctors. I wanted to, you know. And and I think one of the biggest thing that sticks is that feeling of um I was so scared. Mm-hmm. I was so scared, and I was so I felt so guilty for feeling scared. Mm-hmm. You know, I felt like oh my gosh, there's this amazing little person and I should feel nothing but joy mm-hmm. and I'm I'm so ashamed for feeling scared
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, which is just like something we need to switch in our paradigms right like sure that fear doesn't totally take away my joy I can have 100% joy for him and still be scared mm-hmm. and it's okay <laughs> right you know so so it wasn't until it wasn't until sometime the next morning that the pediatrician came in and was like oh yeah this is what it is he'll do some cast he'll be fine no big deal okay i was like okay, okay thanks whatever that gave me and, no information
0: <laughs> right and so then what was your experience from there like how did you find a doctor like what was his casting treatment like
1: so from, from there, luckily we had a really close relationship with our pediatrician too. And, um, you know, we were, we were in the hospital, like half a minute, they sent us home cause everything was fine.
0: Um,
1: and I, so he was born like midnight on a Saturday. Um, we got home. I, you know, my, my husband is really, really good. Like our strengths have begun to shine through the experience, right. Which is mm. just great about challenges like this. Cause, yeah, my husband is so good at researching stuff. He can do it to a fault at some time. Mm-hmm. But, you know, this is where, like, I came home and I was like, I want to be mom. Like, I can't do this right now. Like, I need you to take it. I need you to start researching and telling me what we need to do. And so he did. Like, he researched. He started printing out the handbooks. He started looking at stuff. We got into the pediatrician on Monday, had x-rays on Monday, and he had his first cast. So he had his first cast on like day of life, five, yeah. so we were x-rays day three, cast day of life, five. Um, that initial casting, you know, and I know this part isn't super, like, isn't our focus for today. It mm-hmm. was, was a super challenge for us. Mm. Um, you know, we, we do live in an area that has a children's hospital that provides treatment, they don't do plaster casting, um, which we didn't really know was the industry standard at the time. Mm -hmm. We didn't really understand a whole lot of it. I mean, we did enough research, but it was, it was similar enough that we were like, I guess, you know, I guess this is good. Mm -hmm. The other thing that we didn't realize is that his feet were super complex. They were, they were pretty severe. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and super disappointed because they never really said, you know, Hey, this is probably a little too much for us. You know, we've heard that mm-hmm. story before. I mm-hmm. <laughs> don't stand alone.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and so, you know, we did, we did the casting, his cast rarely stayed in place. We were doing like two to three castings a week because they kept flipping, flipping. Wow. Out. And, um, you know, the, I don't know if it's the worst part, but, you know, so finally, I feel like the surgeon kind of lost her patience and was like, well, let's just do the tenotomy and get it over with. So I feel like we did the tenotomy way early. He wasn't hardly corrected at all. Mm -hmm. Um, And then she, you know, took him in for the tenotomy. And you know, and up to this point, I kind of resisted a lot of it. Like I was really, really, I didn't want to be nurse. Like I wanted to be mom. And so I, I kind of tried to not, I don't want to say not get involved. Like I was, I mean, I was there at every appointment. I was super involved. Like we knew what was going on, but I didn't really want to start questioning. And like, like I wanted to just be able to trust it. Which, like, shame on me, right? Like, I'm a nurse. Like, I should advocate for my patients. Like, this is you what I should do. Wear,
0: yeah, you wanted to wear your mom hat and not your nurse hat.
1: Yeah, yeah. So oh, I can get that. So it was when we got to the point of the tenotomy, and um, the surgeon walks out from the tenotomy, and she looks at us, and she goes, well, it's okay. It's not great. <laughs> and I was like, are you serious? Like, there's cell phone commercials about, like, sometimes okay is not okay. Like, when you walk out from surgery with my kid, uh, okay is not okay. (laughs) And so then that's when I kind of shifted gears and was like, okay, no, no, no. Like, this is not, this is not going to fly. And I literally, um, I just, that's when I got on the horn. And I had kind of stayed away from social media and all of that because there is, sometimes there's so much negativity and I, I didn't want to fall into that. Um, but I jumped on like Facebook and a couple other sites and people were so receptive and so wonderful and just so welcoming. And there wasn't the negativity that I was afraid of. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, just threw it out there and was like, look, here's my situation. Who has recommendations? Like, what do I need to do? And, um, and I got email addresses. People were like, you know, here you go. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so I just kind of like started Cold emailing people, (laughs) and I just out of the blue dropped an email to you know doctors all over the world and um, or I guess all over the United States, and you know that's when Dr. Morwende from Iowa emailed me, which I was just flabbergasted by. I was like, Mm -hmm. I would expect emails back from assistants, not from providers. But uh, that's one thing that I find in this journey when you find the providers who really love these kids, Mm -hmm. they really love these kids, and they will do. Uh, I mean, they'll email crazy moms from California. Yeah. So, um, so you know, he and he was so, so nice and just said, you know, I, I will absolutely see your child if you want to get on a plane and come out here. But I have um, a colleague in California, in Southern California. Here's his email. Um, if you'd rather go that road, then you can. And so then it was at that point, we shifted our our care to Southern California and mm-hmm. proceeded, proceeded from there. Okay, so, um, and you know, I mean, we, we kind of followed, I, I think one of the only differences is before we went, when we were still in that transition time of trying to get our appointment down in Southern California, we, um they did a revision in the office um after his anatomy. So a week after his anatomy, they took the cast down and tried to reposition again which, which was horrific, because he, you know, he'd had a major adverse reaction to coding, so they couldn't really do it with any meds, and they seemed really irritated at my child, because they couldn't do it with meds, and I was like, I don't know what you want from me, so that part was really rough, Um, but it was kind of one of those things where I I was like, this is going to give him the best chance of trying to get to where we mm-hmm. need to be in mm-hmm. the meantime while we're waiting to get down south. So,
0: so when um, you moved down south, did it go better? Does feet get to the um, position? Did it? It did. I mean, I feel mm-hmm. like
1: we, we, the experience that we had there was, was much more, again, we we found that provider who just adores these kids mm-hmm. and just, you know, loves Clubfoot kids, loves Clubfoot treatment and just was willing to listen to me. Yeah. And so um, you know, I think he did. It wasn't a super easy road, but we did. And we were super diligent. We did everything beyond like the standards. So, you know, he stayed in 24 hours, a little bit longer than normal. We kept him um, we kept him in nighttime booths and bar until he was six. Because mm. we just, I, I really, really wanted to get to that.
0: Like, I wanted to overdo it because
1: I wanted it to be good.
0: Yeah. Um, well, that makes sense considering what your guys' experience had been like from the beginning. As it was like, mm. okay, we're just going to do everything we can now um, to get to that point. So that makes sense. So you braced until he was six. Mm-hmm. So when was it that you started to think after six? So you stopped racing at six. At what point do you go, okay, something doesn't seem right? Was it the functionality of his feet? Did you know, like, what was it that was like, hmm? So in in trying to think about that, I
1: feel like, I feel like I really, really appreciate your surgeons who talk about it being um residual instead of yeah. relapse because i think in my core i never really conceded to the idea that we were fully corrected okay um in yeah. that you know i mean and i think that i think that the, some of my close family members might like accuse me of being a pessimist because of that but i think it was just like i don't mm-hmm. want to accept it being fully corrected and then like have it not be you know Or maybe I was just, just witnessed it and kind of saw it. But, um, so the, you know, the, the super short story is we, we had stayed with this provider and, um, probably about, I think when we started kindergarten, so about five, I was like, I feel like we're still just really stiff and not getting the movements Mm -hmm. that we want. And, you know, every four to six months we were going down and we were doing X-rays and we were measuring dorso flexion. And I could see his dorsoflexion angle get, you know, less and less and less acute. And so, it, which it was still within the parameters, but I was like, we're losing that dorsoflexion. So I know we're still under the parameters. I know that we're still acceptable, but I would like to get us a little bit more. So we had advocated, we had started physical therapy at five. We had just, you know, um, and then it reached this point where that provider was retiring. And, um and he was six. So he was like, you know, really you could find somebody and just follow up every year and kind of see. And I was like, so oh, have you met me? I'm a little bit nutty when it comes to this. We're not going to do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, And so we had gotten, we had had some recommendations for another provider a little bit further Southern California. And, um and so when, when we went to see her, her is when like the rubber kind of met the road as far as like Mm -hmm. this residual.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's really interesting. I think it is. It's interesting that you say that about the kind of mother's intuition, like you just always, I never thought of relapse as residual deformity before I talked to those surgeons. And now it makes a lot more sense. And then a little bit for me, it feels like it takes a little bit of the pressure off of me and the responsibility as the clubfoot parent, because it's kind of put out there that like, if you don't do your job, your child's going to relapse. But in some cases, a lot of the cases, sometimes the feet just aren't fully corrected yet, not because the provider didn't do their job, but just because everybody's feet and everybody's individual treatment is different. Um, and so it just develops over time. So I think that's interesting that you just kind of always, I'm, um, I'm a person that's like, a, I I always prepare for the worst. Like I'm always <laughs> like, I'm going to, I'm like, yep. even with my daughter now I was four, we just had a PT appointment. She's doing amazing. Right. I don't, I'm still in my head going at some point, we're probably going to have to deal with more treatment. And for me, that's just because I have to think that way in order to prep myself. I can't think I'm done because then when I get to that point, I won't be prepared for it. So I totally get what you're saying about like, we're in the same boat. Well,
1: and we followed them around staring at their feet all day long. Yeah. right? Like, yeah. I mean, he, he trips once and I'm like, what's wrong? Was it your foot? Did it be like you know? And I mean, you know how many weird videos I have of like where I'm following my kid, videotaping his feet because you know if I'm in front of him, videotaping, he walks very different than if I'm behind him and he doesn't know it. And so, mm-hmm. you know, there was, um, you know, we had gone on a big vacation and done a, we were doing a ton of walking, mm. and um, and during that time, I kind of started having like these really, really deep feelings just as I watched him and um you know but like like he's I mean he's Aaron and he's rough and tumble and so I'm like is you know am I paranoid am I is he running into the walls because he's just this fun boy running into walls or is he running into walls because he can't walk straight like I don't know Mm. um you know but but I think I think that because I watched it so closely and. I don't let anything happen without me watching his feet. I I think that I kind of, I kind of knew.
0: Mm. Did he ever complain of pain or did you ever see like any function? Like he just couldn't do things that you thought he should be able to do, or was it just you observing? It was
1: just me observing mm-hmm. um you know I mean like most of these, because Aaron is super determined and he's not much of a complainer so mm-hmm. I I he didn't really have I mean he did not love when we were you know stretching him and whatever but you know we tried to make it games and,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, make it fun and whatever. So, but he didn't ever really have a significant amount of pain. Mm-hmm. It was more just that I could see that we were like, like losing ground in our dorsal flexion. And, you know, there were times where he wasn't walking
0: so smooth. Mm. So what was it like when you had this third provider kind of confirm that there was relapse or residual deformity that you guys were going to have to do more treatment for.
1: Well, and I guess that's, that's the disappointing part, right? Is as much as I prepared myself for it, I still wasn't
0: prepared. (laughs) I feel like I'm talking to myself because that's exactly like, I want to say I'm prepared for it, but the reality is I'll just be as just as devastated. So I don't know. Right. I mean, and you know, I don't know how much of
1: this is hindsight, right? Mm. Because I feel like the minute you know, the minute she told me, it was like, oh, I, I kind of knew this was coming. Yeah. Um, you know, because I think that so it it was it was super interesting because the the weekend that we that we got this diagnosis, we'd gone down to Southern California, we were spending some time with a cousin of mine, and we had gone to an amusement park. And in hindsight, I remember looking at him and being like, Oh my gosh, he's tripping over everything. Like, what is going on? And that should have been my clue, right? I mean, again, like I can pick up on clues with my patients in the hospital, but when it comes to my own family, I'm, um, and so, so when when she told us, I felt that. I mean, I felt like it was just a ton of bricks. Mm. I felt like everything stopped and everything was moving all at the same time, and I just couldn't get a grip on it. That being said, because I think that it's a a very um, poetic part of our story is that we had my husband here. My, my husband had just started a new job. He's he's a fire captain. He had just started with a new department, which meant that he was going to be you know basically unavailable for a year while they start their new academy and their new training and all of that. And we had just come off of a year where my daughter had had surgery, my husband had had surgery. And so we had, you know, we had paid our dues to the insurance deductibles and we were licking our wounds. And when, and he started in mid-year. And so when we were setting up our plan, we were like, okay, well, this plan only has six months to it, right? So let's go with like the cheapest plan and just do these six months. And then when we have the full year like next time we'll designate a better plan that has better providers and like whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And Mary, the words came out of my mouth. Well, that'll be fine as long as Erin doesn't need another surgery.
0: Yeah.
1: And this it's always there though.
0: It's there, yep.
1: 13 days after um. I made that decision is we sat down and she told me this. So of course I'm just, I'm just reeling because I'm looking at that. I'm looking at how like, unavailable he's going to be I'm looking at the insurance the finances the oh my gosh we've got to fly we've got to he's going to be in a wheelchair like what yeah and um and you know again this is the value in having that provider who just loves these kids because Mm -hmm. you know she talked us all through it and she was super kind and understanding and um you know, probably, probably one of my favorite parts of the story because it helped me begin to understand this whole other part of Aaron, this mm-hmm. like super sensitive and intuitive part of my child that I am beginning to learn and love and appreciate. Is that you know? So we and I'm in I'm in Southern California with um it's just me and Aaron in the appointment um, because my husband has started this job he wasn't there so I'm hearing it by myself and I'm like how am I going to take this back and you know. Mm-hmm. um but we we walk out of the appointment and there was like a corridor in the office and yeah you know, he's six and but I mean very very intuitive child very sensitive always knows what's going on mm-hmm. and I I looked at him and said like do you like what do you understand out of what we just talked about mm-hmm. and so we like sat down right there in this corridor and um and he said well. I think she said I'm, you know, I need surgery, and I said, Do you understand that you're going to have to be in a wheelchair? Do you understand? And he said, He said, Yeah, um, and you know, he asked a couple questions and whatever, and um, and then like the most incredible thing because he's super, super animated, fun-loving kid, but super serious when he when he needs to be. And he just looked at me and he goes, Mom, I know that this is what I have to do, and I know that it's what I need to do, and. Like we're gonna do it, but I really wanna get it done before I turn seven. And I was like, Okay, I don't I don't really know where that came from. I don't mm-hmm. I don't know it, I don't understand it. And here, you know, I'm thinking like you turn seven in January. So mm-hmm. you know, this and because I had asked her, like, look, we just picked this insurance plan, like if it doesn't work, can we wait till January? And she was like, Yeah, you can wait till January, it's not a big deal, mm-hmm. whatever. Okay, so to give that a little bit of perspective. So I looked at Aaron, and I was like, honey, I don't, I don't know. But the fact that you can articulate that to me, like, you better believe I'm going to try my very hardest to honor that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're we're going to try. Um, so by the grace of God, like our insurance worked out perfectly. It was everything was, I mean, you know, we paid our part, but it was, yeah. it was still covered. We could travel, we could do whatever. So this, this diagnosis was in um, July of 2019. Mm-hmm. Aaron had his surgery in October of 2019. Mm-hmm. We flew to St. Louis for the last time Thanksgiving of 2019. He got his cast off in January of 2020, right before he turned seven. Mm-hmm. And February 2020 is when COVID happened yeah so had we waited you would waited oh Lord. then it wouldn't have happened. yeah you know I mean because the the travel and the flying yep. and all of that like yep. if we would have had to wait if he wouldn't have said that mm-hmm. we probably would have assumed and just waited and then none of it would have ever happened like it would have all been like totally different wow. um And so, you know, I mean, and to this day, like, he remembers, like, I just had this really strong feeling that I wanted it done before I turned seven, mom. Um, And it's just, I'm so, I'm so grateful Mm -hmm. that he has that intuition. I'm so grateful that he felt comfortable enough to communicate it Mm -hmm. and that we were fortunate enough to be able to honor it, Mm -hmm. you know? And so, I mean, for, for us during the pandemic, like when everything you know seemed to be falling apart i was just super grateful that we weren't in a worse situation you know yeah. um there was like that that ray of light for us of just like oh my gosh like this could have been a whole lot more complicated yeah um so yeah, yeah. so then that's kind of how how all that went down when we started um this whole residual deformity treatment (laughs) um but yeah we we traveled to southern california for for three weeks and then um and then aaron and i flew to st louis um a week early luckily my parents were able to come with us and he got his last cast there and then
0: um and then had a surgery husband. and then the last cast in St. Yeah, no, so they do
1: they do one cast. Dr. Okay. Dobb likes to have hands on it before the surgery. Yeah. And so he did one set of he did the last casting, then we were there still a week. And then he had the surgery. And then we waited a
0: couple of days and then came home. Was it the tendon transfer surgery that he had?
1: Yeah, so he did um, the, so bilaterally, the Mm anterior, um, anterior tibialis tendon transfer and
0: um, additional Achilles stenonomies on both feet. Mm -hmm. Okay. And how long was he in a cast after the surgery?
1: So, yeah, so he was in a cast for, I think, four or five weeks. -hmm. And then we had, and those were the huge, long leg, super heavy Mm cast. And um, and then we flew back to St. Louis. So we're like, this is like three trips now. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's there's a piece of the treatment without getting like too much into it, but there's a piece of the treatment that Dobbs likes to do after, and so we did that, and then. At that point in time he's placed in a short leg cast, but um still non-ambulatory. Okay. And then he was in that one. So that was that was literally Thanksgiving weekend. And then um and then he got those off in another six weeks. So I mean, all things considered, it's not really that long that we're not walking, but it kind of feels like it.
0: Yeah. Well, it seems like it's not when you're casting your baby, your baby's not walking, you know? So it, there's a whole different dynamic when you are, I can only imagine when you're casting and you're not able to walk when you are ambulatory, like you said, like I can't, while it seems like a short period of time, logically it is, that doesn't mean that it doesn't, I, you know, I'm sure it took a while yeah. for you guys to find a routine and you have to kind of learn how to do everything a little bit different. You have to adjust accordingly during that time frame. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. And especially, I mean,
1: Aaron is super active. So for mm-hmm. me, like the mm-hmm. idea of somebody telling me that he can't run around, I'm like, Oh my gosh, this, this kid doesn't really sleep very well. Anyway, he's never going go to sleep if I can't get his energy out. <laughs> um, right. You know? And so it was, like that was just, that was part of it. That was, but you know, I mean, he was resilient and he, he found ways to figure mm. it out. I mean, he mm. raced, raced his wheelchair everywhere and scared people half to death. I thought he was, I thought he was fast and moved a lot when he didn't have a set of wheels attached. <laughs>
0: yeah. then <laughs> he put some wheels on him and you're like, Oh, okay.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um You know, I mean, he was, he was super resilient with it. And it was, you know, I, when, when I first heard it, and I was writing this really, like, negative story in my head of just how horrible this was going to be, and like, how could I let this happen? And how, you know, we did everything right. And, you know, we believe in science, and we followed everything to the T, and like, the science failed us, and how could this happen? And, It couldn't be a worse time, right? Which like in hindsight, I'm like, yeah, it could have been a worse time because there's so much other stuff. But, you know, I thought like this is first grade and first grade so important. And like where we live, there's no way we could have done it in the summer because it's 110 on a Mm. cool day. And so it was just like, you know, he's going to have to miss part of first grade. And like, but, you know, it's I'm so glad that somebody else is writing the story besides me because it, it really is. So much more beautiful than I could have pictured. Um, His first grade teacher was amazing. I mean, we couldn't have asked for better. His school was amazing. Um, He, you know, everybody just worked with us really well. And it,
0: Hmm.
1: it was a much more beautiful story than what I had written in those moments when I was like, oh my gosh, I just got hit with a ton of bricks.
0: Um,
1: But, you know, and I think one of the bigger, like the most influential parts of it is that you know, his his physician saw me. I mean, you can see me here and you know I don't have much of a poker face, nobody else can really see that, but I you know, I'm pretty sure that I turned like nearly transparent when she told me because I just went so pale. And I I feel like she took the time to see that. And you know, Erin and I left that appointment and we did not even get back to our hotel and she was calling me from her cell phone just to see how I was, just to check in and say hey, like, I know this is big, but let me do this for you. I've got these other moms, like, can I give them your number? And sure enough, they did. And, you know, one of the moms had a boy who was like almost exactly Aaron's age and had just gone through it like the year before. And we had tons of conversations. We met up, the boys got to talk. He taught, well, he started to teach Aaron how to do wheelies in the wheelchair. And like, mm-hmm. stuff that just made it, you know, I mean, just just simple things like starting that routine and stuff, you know, like you said, where I was just like, Oh my gosh, like when we're in bilateral long leg test, how do you go to the bathroom? Right. And, you know, I mean, which was hilarious because she was like, get a urinal from the hospital. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm the nurse. Like I should have thought of the urinal. Like that's crazy, you know? And, um, and so just people were so, so welcoming and mm-hmm. encouraging and, you know, I mean, the travel was was kind of nutty and a little bit of a mess. And we could probably do like an entire podcast just on traveling because there's yeah. there's so much that we learned as far as like the flying and getting around stuff. And you know, not only the traveling with the flying, but the driving three and a half hours in the cars and for all of those appointments and stuff. That you know, we just, I mean, we figured it out. And it was a little messy, but but
0: we did it. Yeah, we should do that. We should do a podcast about that.
1: About I think traveling. traveling in
0: general, like traveling, traveling in with with your child, even not in relapse, but just a baby. I think a lot of us travel. Um, and that aspect it does have a it impacts the treatment and your guys' experience of it. And I think the more tips. The better, so we should do that. Yeah,
1: absolutely, so, because we. I mean, sense. we traveled with. Well, we traveled when he was in cast. We and we. I mean, we traveled overseas when it's boost and bar, and then, this. Yeah. You know this this one because he was a bigger human. Yes, was um was probably the the most impactful. But there's, I mean, there's still there's plenty of ways to. There's plenty of resources. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, and right. and we've
0: yeah we've always don't know mm-hmm.
1: yeah and I mean there a ton of stuff that I didn't know. There's still stuff that I don't know, but um just just getting into those resources and figuring out that um that there's there's ways to make it not so daunting,
0: right?
1: Um, you know, and we've we've always tried to make it a little bit enjoyable Mm -hmm. Um, because I I think for us I think one of the biggest one of the biggest things is that um, you know we've been able to travel for his care because we could Mm -hmm. and I know that there's so many people out there who can't Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: you know I've been super fortunate that throughout his whole experience all of my jobs have provided for me to be able to go to all of his appointments and take time off work and travel and um, we have those resources available. I, I feel like every time we get in the car to go on one of those trips or get on a plane, like my heart just breaks for parents who, like maybe they really do need that, but they don't have the resources available. And I just, I couldn't, I couldn't imagine being in, in that position. And mm-hmm. so I- instead of, you know, kind of whining about it and thinking like how tough this is and what a struggle it is. I've always tried to look at the positive of it because I'm so grateful that I get the opportunity to do it. You yeah. know, and and so much of it really is an opportunity, you know, with I every time we go to Southern California and see his doctors, we make a point to put our feet in the sand because we can. And why not make something good out of it? You okay. know? And um the you know, the trip to St. Louis, my kids are still like, when do we get to go back to St. Louis? Yeah. <laughs> Um, and so it's like, you know, it's just, we've been, we've been super fortunate to be able to do it. And mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm so grateful for that.
0: Yeah. That's such a good point and such a great perspective. I think there's a lot to be grateful for, even in the challenge and recognizing the things that you can be grateful for. I think are very empowering, um, in moments when you're really struggling. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So before we bring Aaron on, why don't you tell us a little bit about your involvement with Hope Walks, how that began, what you guys do, that whole thing. Yeah. So, um, so we,
1: we like to celebrate any wins, like even Mm -hmm. little wins in our house. Mm -hmm. We just, we like to celebrate. So, you know, I think he was a couple months old for our first like the first world club day when we mm-hmm. knew what that was and so we had gotten our family together and we're like we're just going to celebrate that you know that we get to have treatment and that Aaron's doing great and that he's this amazing healthy little baby and um you know then when it came to the like his first year so like a year and 3 months old um or I guess 6 months old was when we hit like our second one and we had just We'd only been living in our house for like three months, four months, maybe. Mm -hmm. And um, we live in this really, really like tight knit neighborhood. Almost all of our neighbors have been here for 45 years. They were all like original owners. They all know each other's lives. They're super like Mm -hmm. engaged. And so we were like, Hey, let's, let's just have a little backyard get together. And Get our neighbors together. And let's just celebrate the fact that Aaron can walk and Aaron walked five days before he turned one. And that's like, that's a miracle for any child, but oh my gosh, is that a miracle? Right. You, you know? And so we just, we, I think we just had cookies and ice cream and we invited all of our neighbors over and we started talking about all of this and all of our neighbors were like, we've never heard of Clubfoot. Like, what's the deal? And and thank goodness. I mean, such wisdom surrounds us. And I am so grateful for that because love of them were just like, it's so great. And it's so amazing that you can give him treatment that you guys have the resources and you've got a cold background and you know, like you, it's, this is so amazing that you guys can give to him. And, you know, and a lot of them started asking the questions like, well, what do people around the world do? What do other people that don't, live with all these resources nearby, what do they do? And I was like, I don't that's an excellent question, you know, and um and you know, as it would be, a couple months later, we ended up at a at a concert that benefited Cure. And um and they had a highlight story of a mom with um I think a son that was born with 12foot. Mm. and just telling her story, it absolutely destroyed me, like just from the inside out, because just her not knowing, like what he was going to do, and how he was going to walk, it took me right back to that moment when I was like laying in that hospital bed, and I had no idea, and I was so scared, and my fear was so real, and I could resonate with, with her fear, but I also felt like Oh my gosh, like I felt like this super real fear of not knowing what was going to happen and not knowing if my child was going to walk and not knowing how I needed to change my my perspective and our trajectory and all of that. How on earth does that mom feel when she doesn't have any resources? You know, I mean, and we don't have to go overseas to see that. You know, there's plenty of struggling parents here and single moms and teenage moms and who are, I'm like, "Oh my gosh, I I get overwhelmed when I think about how that must feel because I knew I know how overwhelmed I felt Mm -hmm. and I just couldn't it's almost like those things that it's like I can't I can't get over that feeling of overwhelming um just fear maybe um that these poor parents must be feeling and so I was like that's it like there we go that's it and so we connected with Cure while they they were still like Cure Club but and as part of Cure and we so the next year we um we literally just did like an old fashioned bake sale in our backyard <laughs> and so. it was amazing because again like none of this is me right this is all like everybody around us they like I baked a bunch of cookies in my tiny little oven and <laughs> people came and our goal was you know to raise enough money so that um i think his aaron was turning to we wanted to be able to help two kids with clubfoot for life and our friends and family just delivered and i we ended up going way beyond that and um and so it just kind of became our our yearly thing and we tried at one point in time you know i think it was this like the year after that i was like um you know people were super generous last year. I don't want to overstep. I don't want to wear them out. I don't want to exhaust them. Like maybe we should give them a break. Mm-hmm. And, and the kids were like, no, 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 no. Um, you know, our, our oldest was like, no, that's the best day of the whole year. Mm-hmm. And I was like, really? Cause you just came off of a pretty rockin' birthday. Like this yeah. is the best day of the whole year. And our kids were just like, no, like this is what we have to do. Like we love doing it. People expect it, you know, whatever. And so then it continued from there. And then when when Hope Walks um yeah. you know had their own journey and we I had connected here because that's who I knew. Yeah. And they sent me to, to, to spot. And we mm-hmm. connected from there. And you know, and so now the older that the older Aaron gets you know, we kind of let him run with it. Mm-hmm. He has some really awesome ideas and we <laughs> we try to just like help him go with it, you know? And so it was even like, I think pandemic year, we were like, look, like we can't, yeah. we can't have a super spreader event at our house, you guys. Mm-hmm. Like we've got to like tone this down a little bit. And he was like, no, 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 no. We got to do something for these kids. Like we have to do something for these kids. Mm-hmm. and um you know it's i it's funny cuz at one point well the year that he had his treatment and he was in his wheelchair and stuff he had given um a talk to his class about mm-hmm. all of it which was just amazing and um but he you know out of nowhere in the middle of this talk he's like well you know my parents have insurance and so they could pay for me to get treatment but a lot of kids don't have that and so like we try to help them mm-hmm. <laughs> like oh my gosh you're sick like what do you know about insurance but um you know so like I think Mm -hmm. pandemic year he was too I mean he's into a lot of stuff but he was into gardening and so he went out and I think he he got red solo cups and a bunch of seeds Mm -hmm. and made we probably had 80 vegetable seedlings and um he grew these seedlings and then he would go out on Saturday mornings in our front yard and like sell them to people walking by (laughs) And, you know, and he and his sister make bracelets and, you know, this year he decided that he needed to build a barista stand and he did um, coffees and espressos and all kinds Mm -hmm. of stuff because Mm that's what he wanted to sell this year. So it's just kind of been a really fun relationship that, Mm -hmm. um, that built off of that. And I, it's absolutely from like this amazing wisdom and encouragement and inspiration of our, of our neighbors who were like, wait a minute, what about other people?
0: Um, yeah, that's awesome.
1: Yeah, that's so, so it's incredible.
0: and it's inspiring. I think it's a good way for um kids, it's incredible how much kids want to help other kids. It's mm-hmm. that piece of you know, as a parent, you're like, Well, you're going through this really hard thing, and it's like, but they're always thinking about other people, and like, oh, and as they start to get older, and even with my acuity as she starts to get older. This was the first year that we really did, you know, celebrated world club Foot day. And it's good for ideas for the future for her. Cause I do think there is that big piece of, okay, how do I then pay it forward to other kids like me? Um, But, but that don't have the same resources that I do. Right.
1: Right. Well, and I think, I think all of it, right. Is that it's just, it's super important for us to teach our kids that like everybody has their thing, right? Like everybody has challenges, but you take that challenge and you let it strengthen you and mm-hmm. it strengthens you so that you can help build up others because that's what people did for us, right? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, it, it, may have, it may have looked a little bit different, but, you know, these other people came alongside us and, and helped us and encouraged us. And so, you know, I was thinking it's not necessarily, is it paying it forward or is it paying it backwards because somebody did it for us. So I'm going to do it for somebody else. But you know what I mean? Like, it's just, um, it's moving forward and understanding that like, this is like, yeah, this is a challenge, but this makes us who we are and it strengthens us and it,
0: Mm.
1: you know, and it builds Mm. us up. And so why wouldn't we use that to help strengthen other people and,
0: you know, and build them up? Absolutely. So. That's so wonderful. I want to thank Angie for being a guest today on the podcast. In the intro, I said that we were going to have a special guest, Aaron, come on to the podcast at the end. But we've decided to break this episode into a couple different pieces so that Aaron's podcast episode can stand on its own. So if you are interested in listening to Aaron's podcast, it will be coming out shortly. But I want to say a big thank you to Angie for sharing her story and talking openly about her experience with Aaron's relapse and how that, uh, how they handled it and how it impacted them. So if, as always, if you found this episode helpful, please like subscribe and please share with anybody who you think would benefit from it. And if you need to get in contact with me, you can do so through my website at maureenhoff.com or my Instagram at clubfoot chronicles mom. So stay tuned for Aaron's episode.